I hope you all feel welcome, but uh, I'd like to offer a special welcome to uh, Dave and Darlene Lunsford. And uh, some of you may have figured out that uh, he's our guest speaker today. So why do we need a guest speaker? You know, we do give Pastor Tim some vacation time. You know, and that's okay. And so he decided to spend one of those Sundays to go uh, hang out with his son, Jaron. I think maybe a Seahawks game? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Poor guy. Oh, well. Dave Lunsford uh, is our guest speaker, as I said. And if you're not already familiar with him, uh, he is the regional director, the director of our, our network, the BNN. Do you know what BNN stands for? Oh, that's impressive, isn't it? Yeah, Baptist, <laughs> Baptist Network Northwest. And so that's a network of churches throughout uh, Oregon, Washington, and Idaho. And it's been a, a network that's been around a long, long time. And it's been a really valuable uh, basis of fellowship for our churches and people of our churches for, for yeah, many years. Um, Dave has served as the director of that ministry for seven years now. After pastoring for 38 years, uh, most recently up in uh, Ferndale, Washington. Um, another part of the connection with the BNN for us is that Nelson Zarfus is the business manager for the BNN. So uh, very much a part of the team. So you know, really our church is highly engaged that way. And in addition, Pastor Tim has been on the council for many years and until just a few weeks ago was the chairman of the council. But he stepped aside to let somebody else step in. And even I get to serve on the council for, uh, currently. So uh, Pastor Dave Lunsford, welcome. And uh, let's give him a hand as he comes. Thank you, Don. It's uh, great to be here. Um, I've known Don so long, we were both youth pastors, and uh, we worked together on an event that's still going on, the Teen Leadership Conference. Uh, we were pretty close to the beginning of that, uh, at least uh, I... Uh, I think you might have been there before I was, but could you give me just a little less volume? I, I like to talk loud and pound the pulpit a little bit, you know there, brother. And it's great to see some college friends here too, uh, Merrill Craig. Merrill, I got a question for you. How, how's your dribbling going? Not good? Shouldn't tell stories because he could probably tell some on me, but there, there was a time when he was on the basketball team out at Corbin, and apparently he was having some ball control issues, and the coach made him carry the basketball for a week. And everywhere we saw Merrill, there he was, but he, uh, he, he, he got a hold of that and did the job there. I see Kathy and a few others that we were in school with. It's great. It's really, honestly, it's a great blessing to go many years and to see old friends who are still walking with the Lord. And, uh, you know, that's a goal. That's a goal in my life. ought to be a goal in your life to become a, a, a great, godly, older person and, and be that, uh, that role model for other folks. I always like to share just a couple of blessings from, from the BNN. And... Uh, there's me and Darlene, and uh, here is a picture of me, and um, if you're real careful there, you can see over on the left side, Nelson is there with me. We gave $100,000 to the Columbia Heights Baptist Church in, uh, in, uh, on the east side of Boise. Now, you might be thinking, well, how come you gave them so much money? Well, here's the reason. We learned something after helping Ryan Frank start a church in Nampa, Idaho. We learned that it takes a lot of money to get a church up and running. And it just does. There's so many things, you know, I mean, obviously there's salary, but there's facility, there's equipment, there's ministry costs and whatnot. And not that long ago, maybe if we go back 20 years or a little bit farther, we never had any money to help our churches get started. And through a series of events, 
uh, we began to trust the Lord as a network. If I, I guess I should say the leadership began to trust the Lord and to give some money away. You know, we've had a loan fund for a long time. In fact, I'm pretty sure this church borrowed from the loan fund. I know the most recent loan was for, the, for a van a few years ago. And so we, we loan money to churches, and uh, we receive it back with a little bit of interest. The interest helps to pay Nelson's salary as the business manager, and before him, other men were the business manager. And we've been doing that for 80 years. But the idea of giving money away was like, we, we don't have any much to give I don't know if you ever feel that way when you get your paycheck, but the Lord gave us some funds and we gave some away and you know what? He gave us some more money. And so we've given some more away and when Ryan Frank went to start that church, we, we ended up giving him probably at least $100,000, maybe more like one hundred and fifty dollars over a period of years. And so when the Lord blessed us richly a few years ago and we were going to receive a, a large amount of money from a sale of property, I just said, we need to go and help the Columbia Heights Church because it has struggled since its beginning. And when I said that, one of our men said, what about this church? And I said, yes, let's help them too. And so we went, and Nelson and I went on a particular Sunday and took that great big check that Nelson had made and gave them $100,000. And as soon as that was done, one of their men came up and handed us a check for $70,000 and paid off their mortgage. <laughs> and right all of a sudden now, they have more money in their budget. They gave their pastor a raise, and the church is flourishing. It's taken some big steps forward. So it's really fun to be able to do that. Um, it's not my money. I don't have 100000 to give away, but it sure is fun to take those big checks once in a while. Now, the other thing we're involved in that you may know about, there's a guy up there on the picture named Rick Bruggeman. How many of you know who Rick Bruggeman is? Yeah, that's right. He's your pastor's brother-in-law. And... Uh, he has been helping us in the interim between one pastor and the next at a Spanish language church work in Grandview. And I just want to say thank you to Rick really publicly. And if you see him or give him a phone call and said, hey, Dave Lunsford says you're doing a great job because he really has done a great job. When the pastor of the first pastor of our Spanish work in Grandview said he was leaving, we think, where are we going to get a Spanish speaking pastor? Well, Rick came along, and that's his ministry with ABWE to help encourage Spanish churches. And so he became sort of the interim pastor, and he knew, he knew this fella in the picture here with me, um, uh, Salvador, uh, Salvador Silva and his wife and child there, and through a series of connections with ABWE, and through a whole process of time, Salvador is going to come and be the next pastor at that church, Lord willing, in December. And over the course of that church's life of about 11, 12 years, many of our churches have made investments in that, in that uh, church. The, the people there gave us their church, and they gave us the parsonage, but it needed a lot of work. And so there's been work done and, and much work in recent days. And I'm just really excited because uh, Salvador is a great guy, and I think that church is going to take off. And uh, already during this interim time, under Rick's leadership, there's been great progress. So that's, uh, that's just two little snapshots from, uh, from the BNN and the kinds of things I get to do from time to time. I appreciate your support in that work, uh, both financially and in prayer, and uh, appreciate the support of your church. So open your Bible to Jeremiah 17, please. Uh, your pastor got a hold of me uh, recently, and he said, I'm doing this series through Jeremiah, and the Lord has provided from heaven tickets for the Seahawks game. <laughs> and so it's obviously God's will that I be gone, and uh, I need you to come and preach this particular text for me, and so that's what I'm going to be doing. Uh, since the last time I saw you, which has been maybe a year or so ago, I've gotten a new shoulder. Uh, I'm addicted to joint replacement surgery. <laughs> I went to the doctor complaining of some pain, and he said, yep, 
your shoulder is shot. And he said, the best solution to your problem is a total reverse shoulder replacement. And being a curious fellow that I am, I said, why a reverse? And if you've never heard of that, I never had either. And it's where they swap the, ner- the, the knob and the receiver to the other sides. And uh, I said, why? And he said, well, then your bicep tendon will become your rotator cuff because your rotator cuff is non-functioning. So it seems like my rotator cuff has retired early (laughs) without permission. I didn't even know what a rotator cuff was until the first time it tore. The first time it tore. And uh, I never got up in the morning and thought, I wonder how my rotator cuff is today. I just expected it to show up for work every day, but there came a time when I was painfully aware of its existence and its failure. The prophet Jeremiah, by God's inspiration, penned a truth about an unseen part of our existence which has let us all down. Follows, I read Jeremiah 17, 9. The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? The heart is deceitful. Your heart is deceitful and desperately wicked. Who can know it? Well, hang in there till I get a little ways through this sermon because maybe you're saying, well, my heart isn't that bad. Well, maybe not. What does God mean when he talks about the heart? Well, first and foremost, the heart regulates life. Uh, Physically, your heart has to function for you to function. And I think God used a bit of a comparison there. But when we look at it spiritually in the scripture, we can see a whole series of things that the heart is involved with in our life. First of all, we just understand that humanity has an inner person and an outer person, and God uses the heart to describe that. The Lord said to Samuel, don't look at his appearance or the height of his stature because I refused him, for the Lord does not see as man sees, for man looks at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. This is a very critical understanding in your walk with the Lord because the world around you doesn't believe it. The world around you does not believe you have an inner person and an outer person. They believe you are a machine. And when something goes wrong with your life, they look into the machine and the center of it called the brain and say something has gone wrong with the physical gray matter. And God says, no, wait a minute. There's a difference between your external person and your internal person. And one of the words he used to describe that is the word heart. It's possible for your inner person and your outer person to be quite different. From Isaiah, therefore the Lord said, inasmuch as these people draw near to me with their mouths and honor me with their lips but they have removed their hearts far from me. And if you know your Bible, you know Jesus essentially quoted this. He said, your, your, your heart's over here, but your externals are over here. The, the, our normal word for that is hypocrite. Person acts like one thing, but the reality is different. Oh, whoops, this one, here we go. The heart is where we feel conviction of right and wrong. When Peter preached that first sermon of the church age, he said, excuse me? Oh, okay. No problem. (laughs) My dad used to do that. Only he did it on purpose. He said, Dave, I'd like to say something. I said, no, not now. The heart is where we feel conviction of right and wrong. Now, when they heard this, they were cut to the heart. And they said to Peter, what must we do? What shall we do? The hardest where you can believe in Christ as your Savior. Now, I put the word can there because you need to, but maybe you haven't. But this is where belief happens. If you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart... One believes unto righteousness, and with the mouth, confession is made unto salvation. 
the hardest where spiritual warfare can happen. Again, I said can because it doesn't necessarily happen all the time, but it can happen. When anyone hears the word of the kingdom and does not understand it, then the wicked one, Satan, comes and snatches away what was sown in his heart. How does that happen? I don't know. I know in recent years when people have made professions of faith, I pray for them that this won't happen. Because somehow, somehow Satan is able to push there. I don't believe that a Christian can be possessed But somehow through the world, Ephesians 2, that he controls, somehow he causes them perhaps to doubt, to be consumed with other things, and there's warfare. The heart is where worship can happen. Speaking to one another in psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord. And and we had a wonderful opportunity to do that today. But as we'll see in a bit, We can sing with our mouth without our heart, but we need to be singing from our heart. The heart is where obedience should begin. Bond servants obey in all things your masters according to the flesh, not with eye service as men pleasers, but in sincerity of heart fearing God. Obedience can be behavioral modification. Um, You know, sometimes when you want your children to do a certain thing, they do it like this. Okay, when my boy, who's old enough to have his own boys now, was three years old, I said, come on, it's time to, time to go home, put, it, put his coat down there after church. And he stood there like this. I said, do you want a spanking? So he got a spanking, so you know, give him a little swat. Time to go either six or seven times. And finally, okay, but I'm pretty sure his heart wasn't in it. God ever done that to you? We need to obey from the heart. The heart can be coerced into a false understanding of reality. An interesting interplay, perhaps, between our mind and our heart If anyone amongst you thinks he's religious and he does not bridle his tongue but deceives his own heart, this one's religion is useless. We see that throughout the Gospels with the Pharisees. They put on these great shows and you're trying to say, look how religious I am. They even said they'd have somebody sound a trumpet before they gave their offering. But their heart, they were, their mind was deceiving their heart. What, a, what, a, what an incredible challenge. The heart is capable of active unbelief. Beware, brethren, lest there be in any of you an evil heart of unbelief in departing from the living God. We can purposefully depart from God. These days it's called deconstruction. When people turn their back on the Lord in an active way. The heart regulates life. Let me read a summary to you from um, a Bible study book called the Unger's Bible Handbook. The heart is the innermost center of the natural condition of man. The heart is the center of bodily life and the center of rational spiritual nature of man. The heart is the center of thought and conception. It's also the center of feelings and affections. It's the center of the moral life so that all moral conditions are concentrated in the heart as the innermost life circle of humanity. And unfortunately, the heart is naturally wrong. Jeremiah 17, 9, the heart is deceitful. And desperately wicked, who can know it? Why would Jeremiah say such a thing to God's people? Okay, we need to get the setting of the book in mind, and, and I hope I can be careful with the theology of that. But Jeremiah was a prophet who God sent to his people to confront them about their sin. And this verse comes after 
what I would call the, the confrontation. This verse is sort of the moral to the story. So look back at verse 1 of Jeremiah 17 and see the story that goes before the moral. The sin of Judah is written with a pen of iron. In other words, it's been written. It's, it's really significant and, and uh, it's, it's written in stone, so to speak. With the point of a diamond, it's engraved on the tablet of their heart and on the horns of their altars, while their children remember their altars and their wooden images by the green trees on the high hills. God's people were worshiping other gods via idols. Now, listen to this familiar verse. I don't know if you've ever taken note of this word before. Now, the works of the flesh, we quote this a lot, the works of the flesh are evident, which are these, adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lewdness, and it goes on, and toward the end of the list is the word idolatry. Idolatry. Mankind has an inherent desire to serve a tangible object of worship. Do you know what the Greek word for idolatry is? It's right there, and it's pronounced idolatria. It's a transliteration. <laughs> the actual word means to serve, to serve an image. The word serve was one that was used of worshiping. Somehow within us, we have this desire to want a tangible object of worship. The, the, the people of Israel were delivered from Egypt by the power of God through those miracles, and they came out, and as soon as there was a little bump in the road, what's the first thing they did, class? What they do, but they took off all their gold and what did they make? They made a golden calf and they started worshiping it. And you think, what is wrong with you? Look what God just did. There's something innate in us, in our flesh, in our humanity that wants to touch the thing that we worship, to see the thing that we worship. Over and over throughout the Old Testament and New Testament, God says, the just shall live, how? By faith. By faith. That was always God's plan. It always will be God's plan. And yet, here, I want to touch what I worship. The natural heart wants a tangible object of worship. And the natural heart wants a visible means of support. Look at verse 5. Thus says the Lord, cursed is the man who trusts in man and makes flesh or humanity his strength, whose heart departs from the Lord. See, God draws this dichotomy. It's a binary system. You can trust in yourself or humanity, or you can trust in God. And yet we want to trust in what we can see. The just shall live by faith. They cannot say, well, I'm going to do it myself. God says, no, you've got to trust in me. And then the natural heart wants God's blessing while living in sin. Look at verse six. <clears throat> we go to verse five, that cursed is the man who trusts in man, rather, and he departs from the Lord. Here's what he's like, verse six. He shall be like a shrub in the desert and shall not see good when it comes, but he shall inhabit the parched places in the wilderness in a salt sea, a salt land which is not inhabited. In other words, the, 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 the natural man, the one with the deceitful heart, he wants to worship God in his own way with an idol. He wants to tangibly see how things are going to work out. And he wants to keep on in sin while somehow getting God's blessing. And God says it's not going to come. You're not going to see the good when it comes. You're going to live in a parched place. I had a man come to see me for counseling many years ago. Came, somebody referred him to me from outside the church. 
And he came in and he said, I got a problem. He said, I'm in love with two women. And being the prophet that I am, I looked at him and I said, and you're married to one of them, aren't you? And he said, yeah. And you know why he came for counseling? He claimed to be a Christian. I believe he went to church. And he wanted me to help him figure out how he could keep both women. Uh, this is a wrong door. You, you met three doors down. No. We want to live in sin, and yet we want God's blessing at the same time. You have to choose. You have to choose. It is a binary system. You're either with the Lord or you're with yourself. So what is the solution for these deceitful, sinful hearts? The natural heart needs to trust in God. Needs to trust in God. Again, verse five, thus says the Lord, cursed is the man who trusts in man and makes flesh his strength, whose heart departs from the Lord. Then verse seven, blessed is the man who trusts in the Lord and whose hope is in the Lord. In Matthew 6, Jesus put it this way, verse 24, he said, no man can serve two masters. You either hate the one and love the other, or, or you hate this one and love that one. You cannot, and in that specific time, he was saying you cannot serve God and money. But the same is true of whatever you put there. Whatever it is that you think you can't live without, I would suggest you might just call that an idol if it will help you to identify it. I've got to have this thing, and yet I want to live for the Lord. I, the solution is trusting in God. Trusting in God precludes human direction. Blessed is the man who trusts in the Lord and whose hope is in the Lord. Not the man, verse 5, who's trusting in man. Either you or someone else. You may be trusting in yourself. You may be trusting in some other humanly created religion or some other philosophical system. It's one or the other. I'm sure in a crowd this size, there are some of you here today that are trying to ride the fence. I, I, I think that would be a way I could describe myself until I got right with the Lord. Yeah, I was a Christian. Yeah, I'm going to heaven. And yeah, you know, I'm not a terrible person, but all out for the Lord? Jump over onto his side of the fence completely? Oh, oh. he might want me to be a preacher or worse yet, a missionary. Oh, I don't want that. I wanted to control my own life. I don't know what it is for you. I know that righteousness comes with a sacrifice. There are things that we have to let go, or sometimes, like Abraham, things we need to be willing to let go of. Trusting in God precludes human direction. Also, trusting in God is the path to blessing. Now the word blessing in the Old Testament essentially means happiness. Now be careful, I'm not saying trusting in God means you're gonna get everything the way you always wanted it. That's not what I said. I'm talking about real happiness that comes from God. The way Jesus promised in John 14 and 15, he said, I've spoken these words so that you can have my joy and have it to the full. But look here in verse, um, in verse uh, where am I at here? Verse eight. Back up in verse seven. Blessed is the man who trusts in the Lord, whose hopes in the Lord, for he shall be like a tree planted by the waters, which spreads out its roots by the river, and he will not fear when the heat comes but its leaf will be green and will not be anxious in the year of drought, nor will it cease from yielding fruit. This phrase, the waters here, and, and this whole passage feels like it was taken out of Psalm 1. And the waters doesn't just mean it, some water happened to flow by where he is. It means something akin to an irrigation canal. An irrigation canal is put in a farming setting to purposefully hydrate the crops. He says, you're going to be like a tree that's been planted by the irrigation canal. The water's going to come. It's going to come. You're going to be nourished. You're going to be strong. 
And he says, when the heat comes, please look at that, Christian, in verse 8. The heat is going to come. But when it comes, you're going to be strong. That's, that's the difference between trusting in God and trusting in yourself. Listen to what Jesus said. A very similar kind of sentiment here. On the last day, that great day of the feast, Jesus stood and cried out saying, If anybody's thirsty, let him come to me and drink. He who believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. Rivers of living water. Look at verse 13 of Jeremiah 17. O Lord, the hope of Israel, all who forsake you shall be ashamed. Those who depart from me shall be written in the earth because they've forsaken the Lord, the fountain of living waters. Jeremiah says, look, folks, God here is offering you living water. In other words, constant nourishment for your life, for your heart. Jesus said, that's what I'm offering. Now again, Jesus made it very clear in other parts of the gospel that he said, you're gonna have tribulation. He didn't say that believing in me means all your problems are gonna go away. You're gonna be healthy, wealthy, and wise. He didn't say that. The heat will come. The faith life is not a promise of constant comfort, but the godly can withstand the heat Trusting in God is the path to blessing. And again, for those of you that might be on the fence here this morning, could I just say to you, I am so glad that I got off the fence when I was 19 years old and I said, okay, God, if the only way I can be joyful and peaceful is to give myself to you, here I am. Even if it means being a pastor, and you know what? All of a sudden, I'm trying to live for the Lord, and God puts this thought in my heart, wouldn't you like to help other people not be so frustrated in their Christian life? And I said, yeah, that would be really cool. And all of a sudden, I want to be a pastor. Not because of some status or something, but because God is leading, and God has things for me to do. <sighs> And above all, I can say this without blinking or flinching, that the joy and peace of the Lord has been present throughout all of my days since that day. Trusting in God is the path to blessing. Also, we see here that trusting in God is the only path to real self-knowledge. Look at verse 10. I, the Lord, search the heart, Jeremiah 17, 10. I, the Lord, search the heart. I test the mind, even to give every man according to his ways, according to the fruit of his doings. God is the only one who knows you inside and out. Now, in my generation, uh, like a hundred years ago when I was young, there was a big trend called finding yourself. Well, you know, I just, I'm not going to go to college right now. I'm just going to, I'm going to kind of bum around and try to find myself. Um, you know, the people who had money went to Europe and did that. Um, certainly there were it was the idea was promoted that maybe if you would take some psychedelic drugs, you will find yourself, the real self that's in there. I mean, there, and, you know, go, go to a bookstore and look at the self-help section and, and, and just look for how to come to know yourself. There, it, it is, we do long to truly understand who we are and how we act and why we act. And I, I guess there's a legitimate need there but the legitimate meeting of that need comes through God. You want to know yourself? You want to know who you are? You want to know what you're doing, what you should be doing? God says, I search the heart. I test things. I'm the one. Trusting in God is also the only path to certainty in life. Look at verse 11. Verse 11. 
as the partridge that broods but does not hatch. You, under, you understand the picture there? Talking about a, a small bird, has got some eggs, trying, it's sitting there like it would, and then normally in a period of time the, the chicks come forth. Like the partridge that broods but does not hatch, so is he who gets riches but not by right. It will leave him in the midst of his days, and at the end of his days, he will be a fool. That's a fancy way to say what Solomon said in the book of Ecclesiastes. He said, I've seen this evil under the sun that a man heaps up riches and he doesn't know who's going to get them. Let me just ask you a very simple question, friend. Have you ever had a day that ended differently from what you expected? I remember, I remember one day I had some kind of dental work done, something significant, I can't remember it. Had it like at the end of the day, and it's like, hey, you're supposed to take her easy now for a couple of days to let this all heal. And the next morning I wake up and I'm having my newspaper and my McDonald's breakfast, glory to God, and my Diet Coke. And the phone rings, curse of mankind, cell phones, modern mankind. Uh, Pastor Dave, there's a water leak in the church. A, a toilet had broke on the third floor, and, and, the, water, and the, the valve broke in just the way that the water shot right out of the toilet, down onto the floor, down onto the second floor, down into the basement. So much for my restful day. I've had days where I went out in a car and I came back on foot because I pulled out in front of somebody and totaled my car. I've had days when I went to the mailbox and found an unexpected bill and other days when I found an unexpected check. Yeah! You know what? This might be the smartest thing I'll say this whole morning. You do not control your life. And you cannot control your future. I know we, we, we try. I'm going to do this, I'm going to do that. Whether it's relational things or physical things or monetary things, I'm going to try to control my life. You cannot. You are not in control of your life. So why not trust the one who is? If you're really trusting in him, he's not going to let you have more than you can experience. And when they go through those difficulties, he'll be there. But our heart says, I can do it myself. And of course, more than anything, trusting on God requires calling on him for salvation. Look at verse 14. Jeremiah says, heal me, O Lord, and I will be healed. Save me and I shall be saved, for you are my praise. Now, Jeremiah was the guy who was walking with God. But he's been given this difficult message to give to his people. And I think he looks at himself and he goes, my heart's deceptive too. And the result of hearing God's truth and speaking it, he says, heal me, save me. The only way we can go from a deceptive heart to a true heart is to get a new heart through faith in Christ. From 1 John 3, this is God's commandment, that we should believe on the name of his son Jesus Christ and love one another as he gave us commandment. This is his commandment. Faith in Christ for salvation is not a suggestion from God. It's a commandment, and you know why it's a commandment? Because someday he's gonna require your answer, and it's going to determine your eternal destination, if I could put it that way. We need a new heart from Christ. Now, I'm sure in a group this size, there are some of you that either have never believed in Christ, or some of you that have struggled with it. And what I mean by that is, I've baptized several adults who were members of my church. 
Do you do that, Don? Have people come to you and say, you know, I want to get baptized. And you're going, what? Well, I've been looking at my life and been hearing the word. And I look back and I realize I didn't know Christ as my Savior when I got baptized. But at this point right here, I know I was a follower of Christ. Maybe you're one of those folks who... Maybe you just followed along with the flow and got baptized and everybody thinks you're a Christian. There is no dishonor in saying, Dave, I need to really be certain I am trusting God today. That Christ has died for my sins. The eternal God-man died for my sins and I'm going to put my faith in him and I'm going to get that new heart from him so that I can have his guidance and his leadership in my life. And maybe there's some of you here today who's never even heard that message before. Oh, praise the Lord that you're here to find out that God wants to give you a new heart. And God wants to guide your life. And he wants to bring you his happiness and his joy and peace. And I would, I would just encourage you and urge you to find one of your friends here and say, would you tell me about this today? Help me to know how I can be truly trusting in God. Now, I suspect that most of you here today have already put your faith in Christ as Savior, and you have a new heart. And so, for you, I, I, I want to say this. The new heart needs to be nurtured with the Word of God. The new heart needs to be nurtured with the Word of God. Look at verse 15. Indeed, they say to me, where is the Word of God? Let it come now. Now, it occurs to me there's two ways that this could have been taken, two ways this could have been said, if you will, that when Jeremiah presented this message, they could have said, where's the word of God? Bring it. Or they could have said, oh, where's the word of God? You know everything. They could have been skeptics, or they could have been sincere seekers. Either way, they needed God's truth. Listen to this from the New Testament. For the word of God is living and power, powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the division of soul and spirit, of joints and marrow, and it's a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. Do you want to find yourself? This is where you'll find yourself. Now, if you really get into the Word, you're going to find some stuff in yourself that you aren't that happy with. Praise the Lord. Now you can change to follow what God says, and you can find yourself on the other side of the page following God, following Christ, and reaping his blessing. But this is the only way to know yourself. There's all kinds of other books and philosophies and teachers who will say, let me help you understand what a man is, what a woman is, uh, what these relationships are supposed to be. I'm sure they're well-intentioned, but this is the only source of truth for us in which God reveals his thoughts and helps us to know our own heart. I don't know if you've considered this or grasp this, this is not a book we read. This is a power we connect with. In other words, it is, it is living and powerful. And so when I read God's truth and I say, oh, something needs to change, and I get a hold of that and I start working to change it, the Holy Spirit comes in and takes the very word of God and changes us because that new heart is able to change, and we are able to become like Christ, and we are able to have God's blessing in our life. Now, turn with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 2. 1 Corinthians chapter 2. Uh, let's go back. I have one more point for you to consider, and that is this. The new heart needs Diligent maintenance. Look at 1 Corinthians chapter 2. And uh, we'll start with verse, excuse me, 1 Corinthians chapter 1 verse 2 to start with. 
to the church of God which is at Corinth, to those who are sanctified in Christ Jesus. The reason I read that is we need to be rock solid sure that he is talking to genuine believers in Christ. Called to be saints and so on. Now we drop down to chapter 2, verse 14. The natural man does not receive the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolish to him, nor can he know them, because they are spiritually discerned. But he who is spiritual judges all things, yet he himself is rightly judged by no one. For who has known the mind of the Lord that he may instruct him? But we have the mind of Christ. And I, brethren, could not speak to you as to spiritual people, but as to carnal, as to babes in Christ. I fed you with milk and not with solid food, for until now you're not able to receive it, and even now you still are not able. For you are still carnal, for where there is envy, strife, and divisions, are you not carnal and behaving like mere men? The new heart needs diligent maintenance. In this text that I just read, the Apostle Paul identifies three conditions of mankind. And we're going to start with this one here. He says, the new, he says, uh, verse 15, he who is spiritual judges all things. If we were to back up in the chapter, we would see that he says, he who has the Spirit is from him. In other words, when you believe in Christ as your Savior, the Holy Spirit comes into you, and that is the point at which you become spiritual with a capital S. Spiritual. The spiritual person is one who possesses the Holy Spirit because they have believed in Christ. Now, I know that we're all spiritual, small s, in the sense that we have a sense of, of the beyond and how that word is used and the secular and so on. But this spiritual I'm talking about is when you put your faith in Christ, the Holy Spirit comes into you and he's active in you. Then he also references the natural person. And he says the natural person cannot understand God's word because he doesn't have the spirit. Natural person does not have the Holy Spirit because they are not born again. And then he talks about a third condition, which he calls carnal. <clears throat> I'm reading from the New King James. The King James also uses carnal. NIV says worldly. New American Standard uses men of flesh. <clears throat> and really, those, those, uh, that, that New American Standard is probably the, gives you the sense of this, what this means. The carnal Christian is one who is living like an unbeliever that is living in sin. Look at chapter 3, verse 3. Are you not behaving like, my translation substitutes or puts in the word mere men. In other words, the Christian can never become an unchristian. You can't become unsaved. You cannot lose your salvation But you can live like a spiritually dead unbeliever. How do you do that? Look at chapter 3, verses 1 through 3. He says, you folks are living in sin. And so because you're living in sin, you're not thinking spiritually and so I can't talk to you like spiritually growing people. I have to talk to you like an unbeliever and try to help you understand what's going wrong. When a believer allows sin to remain in their life, they are carnal or worldly. Allowing, now get this, allowing their deceptive heart to come back and direct their thoughts and behaviors. See, I know that when you accept Christ as your Savior, according to Romans 6, the power of sin is broken. You were identified with Christ in his death, burial, and resurrection. You have a new life. I know that. But also in Romans 6, he says, therefore, stop giving in to sin and putting yourself in the place of sin and start putting yourself in the place of righteousness. Why? Because if you put yourself into the place of sin, 
you're reverting back to your old natural or carnal life. And what's happening, and here's the part that messes us up, is our heart is saying, everything's fine. But it's not fine because it's our deceptive heart that has come to rule our life again. <clears throat> Once we step out of God's light into sin, our heart starts justifying our behavior. It draws us to things that feel good to our flesh. That's why he says you're living fleshly. There's stuff in our humanity that feels good. And if we allow sin to remain, then our deceptive heart says, yeah, let's just go back over there and live there. I'm counseling a man, uh, not part of any of our churches, nobody that you would know. He has struggled with porn over the 13 years of his marriage. And he's a pastor. And that led to marital problems. And thankfully, he has repented, he's changing, he's growing, the marriage is healing. I'm, I'm happy to report that when people submit to God's word, God changes them. But I asked him this week, I said, because I was gonna preach this, I said, what are the deceptions that your heart has been telling you? Talking about pornography, he said, well, this is the deception. Maybe this is okay, since they had multiple wives in the Old Testament. This is sort of like that. I know you're all sitting here going, how can a guy think that way? He can think that way when he's been invested in sin and his deceptive heart says, hey, here's a way to look at things. Here's another one. He said, all guys struggle with this, so I'm not that bad. He said, I've been unwilling to honestly see myself as a lying adulterer. And now that he's gotten right with the Lord, he, he, he has days where he just feels so terrible. But he's seeing himself clearly now. I'm counseling two married couples, again, not from our circles at all. They are both progressive consistently because they want God's path as revealed in his word. You see, you can fight God's word all you want. You, you can be like what some of these people might have been to Jeremiah. Where is the word of God? You can fight it, but the result will be what Jeremiah wrote. He will be like a shrub in the desert and shall not see good when it comes but shall inhabit the parched places in the wilderness in a salt land which is not inhabited. And when people that are Christians argue against God's truth and then reap ruin in their life, they blame the ruin on everybody except their own deceptive heart. Darlene uh, this week sent me a picture of her brother and sister-in-law's bathroom floor. I'm a, you know, I'm a fairly seriously committed DIY guy. I've done remodeling in, in this house, and the last one I did remodeling in the Parsonage I lived in up in Seattle. Enjoy that sort of thing. But multiple joint replacement surgeries later, I don't have the strength or ability to get on my knees like I used to. And so Darlene says, hey, my, my brother and sister-in-law, this floor, there was a problem, and it needs this and that, and... I said, get me some more detailed pictures before I agree. So I looked it all over, and I went, okay, I think we can do it. If you'll help me, we can get this done. <clears throat> I don't want to volunteer for something I can't do. You can't do your own heart repair. You cannot do DIY heart surgery, even if you think you can. Only God can give you a new heart and nurture it to consistent Christ-likeness. 
Now, there is a part for you to play. Our part is to cooperate with God in the nurturing process. God says, look, I want to give you a new heart, and I want that heart to become strong and mature and to bring you blessing, but you have a part to play in that process. Number one, put your faith in Christ as Savior. I was asked by a couple of folks to go meet with a couple of young women who were struggling in their lives. Darlene and I went and met one here and one there, and they did not want to know the Lord. Well, I I can't help you. And frankly, if if you're here today saying, I want blessing, but I don't want to know the Lord, it isn't going to happen. It isn't going to work. Oh, you get some fun for a while. No doubt about that. Bible calls the pleasure of sin for a season, but it's not going to be that great. Put your faith in Christ. Get a new heart. Number two, live in obedience to God's truth. I know this is super simple, but this is the key first step to growing in the Lord and having your heart become really warm toward God and and, uh, maturing and having his blessing. You need to say yes to sin and no to to, God. um, excuse me, no to sin and yes to righteousness. You just got to do it. You got to do it. And if you are struggling to do it, find a mature brother or sister that'll help you. Because it is possible. I want to say that today. Romans 6 says it's possible. You can grow and change. Be in God's word regularly. Read, understand, practice, refer, submit. I can't overestimate this. I led a guy to the Lord in McDonald's my spiritual ministry of breakfast and the newspaper, this older fella, and it's a long, funny story, but he came over and I thought, well, he's spouting all this political foolishness. I'm just going to witness to him and then he'll take off. About six months later, he says, I want you to baptize me. I said, what's that mean to you? Well, I've come to believe in Christ as my Savior. Now, he was a serious Catholic. He was raised seriously that way, and so it was a shift for him, and we did baptize him. But then we, he, came, he kept coming around wanting to have theological discussions, especially about end times and, and different things. And I would say, no, 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 that's not what the Scripture says. And he just fought back against it. And, and finally, I said, look, friend, Um, if we're going to keep talking theology, you've got to read the Bible because there's no way you can know theology without reading the Bible. And he said, yes, you can. You can know theology without reading the Bible. (laughs) What in the world? You cannot know how to live for the Lord without reading the Bible. You've got to know God's truth. You've got to, to read it or hear it. You've got to understand it. If you don't understand it, Ask questions. I have married a lovely woman who was married to somebody else for a lot of years till the Lord took him home, took my wife home, and uh, she has a lot of questions. Not because she's doubting the Lord, but she's reading the Bible today. She goes, why did Paul say this, and why did he do it like that? And uh, she thinks it's really great now. She's got a built-in pastor. (laughs) Too many questions, too many questions. But she's trying to understand. Don't just read it and go, well, whatever, and close it and walk away. Don't do that. Understand. Do what it takes to understand. And then practice. And then refer to it. What do I mean by refer to it? I mean as you're walking through your life, you say, what should I do? Well, let's go back to the Bible and find out. And then when you know what you should do, submit to it. And, and here's a great rule that I have given myself, and I would urge you, confess the first sin. Now, what do I mean by that? Uh, You know, let's say I, I, I tripped and fell over here, and I broke my arm, and then I needed to go move some stuff. It probably would be smart to fix my arm before I go and try to do that. If you walk in sin, the next step you take will be sinful. Might I even say sinful-er? And so when you recognize the sin, if you've started the day walking with the Lord, you've read the word, you've prayed, and you're walking with the Lord, and all of a sudden the Holy Spirit goes, that's wrong. 
You need to stop right there and say, oh God, I am, I am sorry, that is wrong, I acknowledge it, please help me do better. Because then, now you're walking with the Lord again. And you have the potential to consistently walk with the Lord. But if you let sin go, what takes over the direction of your life? Your deceptive heart. And then listen for God's promptings. Listen for God's prompting. How does God prompt us? Have you read 1 Corinthians 12 where he talks about all the spiritual gifts in the body of Christ? Do any of you here believe that a single person can have all the spiritual gifts? Okay. Does your pastor have all the spiritual gifts? No, he's got a couple of them. One at least. Okay. Don's got some. Marcy's got some. My wife's got some. My wife has different gifts than I have. That's pretty apparent. That's why I should listen to her. Because there could be times when, the, when God will move in her and she'll say, hey, you need to tell Dave something. Now, it's not going to be an audible voice. I know I'm in danger of being uh, called a charismatic here, and I'm not that. And I don't think God's going to speak to me. But I think God's going to prompt me at times. And especially I would talk about your spiritual leaders from Hebrews, thir Hebrews 13, 7. Obey those who rule over you and be submissive, for they watch out for your souls. If your pastor comes along and says, friend, have you considered this? Have you considered that? I want to tell you today, that might be God prompting you. We need to listen to those that are around us. We need to listen to our Sunday school teachers. We need to listen to our friends that are walking with the Lord. We need to listen because God is going to